Welcome to episode 617 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. And it's a solo episode this week. Lots of issues going on, scheduling issues, technical difficulties, all sorts of things. But we wanted to make sure we still got you an episode this week. So I'm here with you and completely solo because I also don't have any listener feedback to share. If you'd like to send us a question or a comment on any of the things that we discuss, our email address is entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. So let's jump right into the news then. And we're going to start with the video segment like usual. And in the video news this week, let's start by talking about what is going on with all of these regional sports networks. Well, in the US, it really comes down to two main network providers. That would be the Diamond Sports Group, which you may not know that name, except for maybe because of this news, but you would know if you're into local sports, the channels that they own under the Bally Sports name. So Bally Sports owns uh, a bunch of channels around the U.S. in major cities. In fact, Bally Sports is responsible for the streaming rights to 14 Major League Baseball teams, 16 NBA teams, and 12 NHL teams. And Bally Sports is not doing well financially. In fact, their parent company, Diamond Sports Group, has filed for bankruptcy protection. And that's left a lot of sports fans wondering if they're going to lose access to their favorite team's games. And this actually isn't even just a problem with Bally. AT&T Sportsnet, which is owned by Warner Brothers Discovery, not exactly having the same issues, but Warner Brothers Discovery says that they plan to step away from those uh, from those networks by the end of their sports season. So all of these channels look to be, well, in shaky ground for sure. Now, Diamond Sports Group has said repeatedly that they do not plan to go away. They are not going under there finding ways to make this work. I'm not entirely sure of that, but I'm hopeful for them uh, for the sake of all of the, the fans of these networks. But there is some good news here. If you are a hockey fan, Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, recently came out and assured fans that all of their games through the first round of the playoffs will be aired and streamed like normal. He's going to make sure that that continues to happen. And if you're confused a little bit about, well, why does it end at the first round of the playoffs? Well, that, that was when it was already planned to end because by the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, then ABC, ESPN, TBS, and TNT take over and they will have all of the remaining games for the, for the remainder of the Stanley Cup playoffs. NBA, well, Diamond Sports Group is saying, in addition to what Gary Bettman said, they're going to make this work for all of the NBA and NHL games through the end of the season. Sounds great, right? Unless you're a baseball fan, because there's a handful of Major League Baseball teams that air their games through Bally Sports Net 
uh, channels also. I don't have nearly as good a news for you baseball fans out there. So it sounds like Diamond Sports Group is doing whatever they can to try and make this work. But at the same time, it doesn't sound like Major League Baseball actually wants this to work. They have been quite aggressive in their negotiations, and they're basically saying that they would like to take complete control of broadcast and streaming rights for all teams, because if they control it all, then that means that they also control all of the revenue. So everything is still very much up in the air as baseball season is right around the corner. But at least you are, in theory, covered if you are a hockey fan or a basketball fan. Let's move on to YouTube TV. And this is a story that we're used to reporting on from these types of services, but we wish we didn't have to report on quite so frequently. And that is that YouTube TV is once again raising the subscription cost. So it's already been one of the more expensive streaming TV services, uh, cable TV replacement type services, what I tend to call these, these services. And that was when it cost $65 a month to subscribe. Well, they're increasing a monthly subscription by over 12% to $73 per month starting now or April 18th, depending on if you're already a subscriber or if you are a new subscriber. This service, YouTube TV, when it originally launched, cost $35 a month. Their last price hike took it from $50 to $65. That was in June 2020. There is one small piece of good news here. YouTube TV has many add-ons, but one of them is a 4K add-on that allows you to watch a lot of content in 4K, as you might expect. And the downside to this add-on has always been the cost. It has always been $20 a month. That's been the normal regular price. There was some intro stuff that happened when they first rolled it out, but the regular price has been $20 a month since they launched the 4K add-on. As they are increasing the base price of YouTube TV, they're actually cutting the price of the 4K add-on in half. So that will only be $10 more a month. So for $83 a month, you can have YouTube TV plus have some content in 4K. Does that justify the price? Maybe, maybe. When you look at their biggest competitors, Fubo TV and Direct TV Stream, those both cost $75 a month. So if you don't add on the 4K, it's actually $2 cheaper than Fubo and Direct TV Stream. But Direct TV Stream has always been the most expensive one available. So to say that it's slightly less expensive than the one that's always been the most expensive, it, it's hard to really call that a win, right? But YouTube TV is really good. It's a really nice service. Their DVR works well. The it integrates really well if you have a, a Chromecast with Google TV. It's just a really nice service. But man, these are getting really, really expensive. Do you have other cheaper options out there? Yes. Sling TV. If you do Sling uh, Orange Plus Blue, which is going to be the most comparable to one of these because it gives you basically 
all of their base packages or base networks. And that is $55 a month. So it's still $20 a month cheaper than all of these other guys. Now, is Sling TV as nice of a user experience? Not really. I, I don't think so. Richard, for sure, doesn't think so. But it definitely gets the job done. And if you're only looking for a couple of things, like for me, I usually sign up for these services during the NHL playoffs or sometimes during college football season. If you're only going to do it for a couple of months and it's only for a couple of things, then to me, I don't mind if the experience that I get isn't the absolute best experience because I'm only turning it on once a day to watch that one thing. And frankly, no one else in my house even uses these services when I sign up for them. The kids, they're all YouTube and Netflix all the time and Disney Plus. And my wife is pretty much Netflix only. Well, Netflix and Disney Plus because, you know, she's got to watch all the Marvel movies over and over again. So it's just me anyway. So if if your needs are more basic, then perhaps look at Sling TV. So let us know. Are you going to stick with YouTube TV? Are you planning to sign up for it anyway for getting access to the playoffs of the sport that you care about or or for some other reason? Maybe it's for baseball. Let us know if YouTube TV is still your go-to option or if you're going to be looking at some of the other options. I mean, now that it's basically cost comparable with Fubo TV, if you're all about the sports, then maybe you should check out Fubo because that is a service that started as primarily catering towards sports enthusiasts. And then, of course, you could also check out DirecTV Stream also. All right, let's talk about some audio news. And we're going to go to the streaming service that I use the most. It's the one that I've loved and I've been paying for four years, and that is, of course, Spotify. I think it's a great service. It's available on everything. The cost is is very competitive, and they even have a family plan, which I absolutely take advantage of so that everybody in my family can have their own playlist and their own taste profile. And there is one thing that we've been waiting on, though, with Spotify, and that is when will they actually release their Hi-Fi plan that they announced two years ago at this point? Well, according to The Verge, they sat down with the head of Spotify, and according to them, they say that Spotify has actually been ready to go with their Hi-Fi offering for more than a year. So where is it? Well, when it was originally announced two years ago, Spotify's plan was to launch Spotify Hi-Fi as a new premium tier. So the, the current top single user tier is $10 a month. Actually, is it $11 a month now? It might be more than that. It's been a long time since I've had a single person subscription. And the plan was that for Hi-Fi, for their lossless audio version, that they would charge you more. And two years ago, that absolutely made sense. The only real competitor at the time that was doing it, and by doing it, I mean offering a lossless or ultra high quality streaming solution was Tidal. And to get access to that, it was $20 a month. So at the time, it was twice the cost of a normal Spotify subscription. So it made sense that Spotify would charge more for a higher quality audio service. Well, things have changed since they made that announcement, primarily being 
that their biggest competitors, Apple Music, Amazon Music, they both offer lossless audio now for most of their catalog, and they don't charge extra for it. So while Spotify, according to The Verge again, has all of the technology in place, and they've already done the work to get higher quality, potentially lossless audio versions of maybe their entire catalog, they haven't quite figured out how to make this work as a business model. Their quote was, we want to do it in a way where it works for us from a cost perspective. Makes sense, assuming that they have to pay the music labels more money to be able to stream at the these higher audio quality settings, then you can certainly understand why they might want to charge more for that. Now, is that actually how their agreements work with the music labels? I don't know. And we are unlikely to ever actually know. Those types of things are held pretty confidential for obvious reasons. But if Apple and Amazon aren't doing it, then it seems like Spotify could also. What The Verge wonders, and I think they've got, uh, I think they might be onto something here. Spotify, they've been working on building up a large library of content that isn't just music. They've been getting access to exclusive podcast partnerships in addition to just building up their own podcast library of of podcasts from uh, across the internet, including Entertainment 2.0 and Home On from right here at the Digital Media Zone. But they've also been buying audiobook companies. So audiobooks are on their way to the service also. So might Spotify be reconsidering making a new tier that includes the Spotify Hi-Fi option in addition to some extra access to audiobooks and premium podcast? That seems like something that could actually make a lot of sense. And if they are planning to do something with podcast in there, it would be really interesting to see if they work with even more podcasters to offer those podcasts ad-free. That would be cool and might actually make me consider switching. I don't know. It, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Spotify says they're still absolutely planning to release Spotify Hi-Fi at some point, but they're not giving us any more of a detailed answer as to when we might be able to actually listen to the service. I want to actually hit on one more Spotify-related thing, and maybe this could go in the what's going on in my entertainment center section of our podcast, but we're already talking about Spotify, so let's talk about Spotify some more. Another feature that they've released recently is just called Spotify DJ. And if you're like me, which you probably aren't, but if you're like me, I primarily use Spotify either on my computer or on my TV using my NVIDIA Shield. I don't actually use Spotify on my phone all that often. And the mobile apps is where they're releasing most of these cool features. So I didn't even see Spotify DJ until just a few days ago when I decided to listen to Spotify on my phone the other night and up popped a screen suggesting the DJ option. And the DJ option sounds really cool. It is based a little bit on AI and it has an AI generated DJ that talks to you. And says your name, like it said, hey, Josh, or something like that, and 
said that it was going to play music that it knew that I would like based on playlists that I've made, music that I've listened to a lot. It would throw in some music that I do like but haven't listened to in a while. And it sounded like what it would try to do is pick a type of music, play that for a few songs, and then switch to another type and play a few songs. And it sounded like a really cool idea. In actuality, I'm not sure that I'm really digging Spotify DJ. But the problem is probably me, not the service. See, the biggest problem, I think, is that I listen to so many different kinds of music pretty regularly, from electronic music to 90s rock to more classic rock to classical music to church music to, uh, I guess I said classical music, jazz occasionally. Like I listen to a lot of different things. And the DJ doesn't seem to have quite figured out how to make better mini sets. So like when I first listened to the other night, it just played a few electronic music songs. It did fine. Was it all of my top favorites right now? No, but it was it was some pretty good songs. And then there was a break, and it played another electronic song, and then it played a folk song, and then another electronic song, and then a bluegrass song. I don't want to listen to all of those things together. So <laughs> the idea is good, and I would like to see this work a little bit better because occasionally I do get kind of tired having to pick what I want to listen to. And I recognize that that's a ridiculous thing to complain about. I'm not really complaining about it, but sometimes it is nice to just press a button and it just plays something that you want without even having to pick a playlist. So I'll keep trying this out, but again, it's really only on the phone and you can do the whole Spotify connect thing where You start it on the phone, but then you actually play the audio through a computer or through your NVIDIA shield or something like that. And that works for the music. Like you'll, it'll still pick the next track and stuff, but you miss out on the DJ aspect of it because the DJ does interject occasionally and talk just a little bit. And if you're thinking, Josh, I don't care about that. I don't want the DJ talking to me. If I wanted DJs talking to me, I would listen to the real radio. That's not true. The reason you don't listen to the real radio is because they play the same songs over and over again, and they play a tremendous number of ads per hour. That's not the situation here. There are no ads. It's just the music that you're paying to stream every single month with your Spotify subscription. So I'm going to keep trying to check this out, see if it gets any better for me, because I think it is a cool idea, and I do want to get a little bit more experience with it and to see if it starts to get better. How about some gaming news? Well, it's another bad story for E3. E3 being the biggest video game news event of the year happens every year when there's not a pandemic in Los Angeles in June. And as we keep reporting more and more and more of the biggest players in the video game space continue to announce that they won't actually be there in official attendance. And we've got yet another one who's pulling the plug on their plans for E3. This time around, it's Ubisoft. And this is despite the fact that in February, they said they would be at E3. Now, they're doing something similar to what a lot of the other companies are doing, which is saying, 
we're not going to be at E3, meaning we won't be on the show floor. We're not going to pay the conference a whole bunch of money to have a booth there. But we're going to be in L.A., and we're going to be in L.A. during the same time. So Ubisoft is going to host one of their Ubisoft Forward live stream events on June 12th in L.A. So if you weren't planning to be at the show, which you probably weren't, these now recently they've been open to the public, but these have primarily been press-only events. So most people weren't going anyway. Will you actually notice a difference? Probably not, because all you were going to be doing anyway as a video game enthusiast was watching the streams from the press conferences from these companies anyway. Microsoft, they're not going to be on the show floor, but Xbox will have a giant press conference that same week. Ubisoft doing the same thing. Nintendo mm, might do the same thing. Sony will do the same thing. Activision Blizzard, eh, probably not. Who else is left? Uh, there's, there's really, uh, there's EA. I don't think EA has announced whether or not they're going to be there, but I'm going to bet they won't be there either, which means really none of the major publishers will actually be at the live show. I don't really care that much about whether E3 as a show continues on in the future. What I care about is that the idea of E3 continues. And and by that, I mean having all of the major players get together at about the same amount of time and make their big announcements all at the same time has one huge, huge benefit for the entire industry. And that is that when you have something that large happening, the rest of the media needs to pay attention a little bit. Your normal morning news programs, your national news programs, your Good Morning America, you know, CNN, Fox News, all of those guys know that this is happening and it's a big deal. The, the video game industry generates so much revenue. It's way more than Hollywood generates on a per year basis, way more. So they can't ignore this when there is this large of an event happening, which is good for the video game industry. If E3 dies and all of these publishers decide, eh, we're just going to have our own events whenever we want them, then that's actually not as good for the industry as a whole. It's that whole rising tide raises all boats. Wow, I really screwed that up, I think. You, you get the analogy, though. If they're not all together and doing things at about the same time, the rest of the media doesn't really need to pay attention. And I suppose you could argue that with how big the video game industry is now, maybe it doesn't need it at all. I don't know. Similar to CES, because we end up having this same discussion every January when CES rolls around again, we talk about, does CES still matter? Do we still need to have CES? Well, there's still a huge benefit to it because it does force the rest of the media to focus in on what are the big consumer electronics trends that are going to be happening over the next 12 months. And that's what E3 does for the video game space. So. It doesn't look great for E3, but I hope they that they can come up with a way to salvage this and continue to make the middle of June actually have something interesting for video game fans because 
there aren't typically many big video game releases to get excited about in January and July. So the summer months, it gives you something to be excited about. It gives you uh, an appropriate amount of time to build excitement from marketing for all of the games that will be announced to come out in the third and fourth quarter of the year. It's it's just, it's a really good timing. It's a really fun event. And I hope it doesn't go away. Okay, so what's going on in my entertainment center over the last couple of weeks? Well, on the video game front, some more Last of Us. I'm almost out of Pittsburgh, I think. I've still got a ways to go. Still got a ways to go in that game. And I really do want to get through it so that I can watch the show. But something happened the last two weekends that meant I wasn't playing any of The Last of Us over the weekend. And that was the beta for Diablo 4. Wow. This game absolutely hooked me. I am loving it. And it's just the beta. It feels... The, the gameplay loop of this game feels so similar to The Division, and I loved both of The Division games. Obviously, what's going on, the storyline, all of that, completely different. This is not a third-person, over-the-shoulder, modern-day shooter like The Division. This is a isometric view, third-person, gothic action role-playing game. It is very different from that perspective, but the same basic element of going around this fairly large sort of open world, progressing an interesting story, using a few different types of character classes, being able to build up your weapons and and spells and, and the way that you interact with the world in completely different ways from all of your friends. Oh, and it's multiplayer. Yeah. It, it's really working for me, and I cannot wait for this game to come out on June 6th. Uh, this has absolutely hooked me. I'm typically not one to pre-order video games. I might pre-order Diablo 4. I, it doesn't really typically actually make sense to pre-order games, but I just want it so bad that, I don't know, maybe I will. Even if the Activision Blizzard acquisition doesn't happen in time, I might be willing to just, in fact, I know I would be willing to just give them the $70 for this game. It was so fun. If you missed out, I'm sorry you did. Literally millions of people got into the, the betas over the last couple of weekends. This game is going to do so well for Blizzard. <laughs> and I bet Microsoft really wishes that they could get this deal closed before Diablo 4 launches because it is going to be such a moneymaker for Activision Blizzard. On the TV front, we have uh, watched a bunch more of season one of Ted Lasso. In fact, I think we finished season one of Ted Lasso and we are now completed episode one of season two. So I think it's uh, we might be able to find time. I mean, we really plowed through it this weekend uh, to make it through the rest of season two. We've decided that we're going to skip that weird episode in season two where it's like beard out on the town. We don't need to rewatch that episode, but we're going to watch the rest of season two so that we can get into Ted Lasso season three. I also have a book recommendation for you. This one actually came from Jen, who reads way more books than I do, and she started a book club, so she's really trying out new things. And she started listening to some book podcast. And 
I believe this book recommendation came from her from a, a podcast that she's been listening to. And this book is called The Anomaly. It is by a French author. I am terrible, terrible at pronouncing French names. So I'm not going to try, but look up The Anomaly. There's probably a few books out there that have similar names. So look for the one with the French author. There is an audiobook version of this. The audiobook is 11 hours, so this is not very long. It's a really, really interesting story. I'm not sure how much to give away. It's a little bit sci-fi-y, but it's basic. it is absolutely modern day where a very strange phenomenon happens and it impacts a couple of hundred of people's lives in a very unique way that will leave you just chewing on so many interesting questions. Before the next episode, maybe I'll go back and and reread like the book's own summary, like what would be on the back cover of the book so that I can know what I can tell you without spoiling much of it. But it's, I I found it really, really interesting. If, If you like a book that really gets you thinking about, huh, what would I do in that situation? Or thinking about, hmm, what what actually did happen there? There's a few possibilities. Which one do I think is the most likely? Lots and lots of questions that can come out of this book called The Anomaly. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find all of our contact information and all of our show notes, links to everything that we talked about this week over on our website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com is where you can find that. If you want to find us, on Twitter, I'm at Josh Pollard. The website is at DigiMediaZone. Richard and I are both on Mastodon. Our names are just our names, at Richard Gunther and at Josh Pollard on Mastodon. And last we checked, we were still the only ones with that name. So you don't have to know what server we're on and all of that nonsense right now. But even if you didn't completely understand all of the Mastodon stuff, there are links for you over on the website. Over there, you will also find Richard's other podcast, Home On. It is a show all about smart home technology from the DIY perspective. We also try to record this show live when we do it. (laughs) It did not happen this week. Too many issues. But we try to do this show on Tuesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow us on social media, especially on Twitter, and I will get tweets out when we're going to be doing the show live. We also actually do the show using Twitch. So once you end up at one, just subscribe to us on Twitch and Twitch will also notify you when the show goes live. Well, that's going to do it for episode 617. I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios.